Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Desert Island Graps featuring my guest, Jimmy Rave. This will be presented in a slightly different style to what you may be used to with Desert Island Graps. This is a very open conversation with Jimmy Rave and it contains strong language and discussions of abuse, addiction and suicide that some people may find upsetting. Jimmy Rave, how are you doing? Um, so, so today, today's a decent day. Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta get into to my routine today, but, uh, but so far so good. Uh, what's the routine this morning? Um, well, I got two or three doctor's appointments this afternoon. Uh, you know, just, you know, dealing with that, dealing with insurance and disability. It's just been a, it's been a crazy, uh, I, I often start these interviews by saying sort of in a, in a jovial manner, how are you doing? But it's, it's a funny one. Cause like, I, I kind of want to ask it in a different way. I want to say how you're doing um, in a more serious tone because it's been uh, it's, it's, it sounds uh, cliche, but it's been a roller coaster for you. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's um, you know, but I try to look at the positive things about it. You know, like I've had a lot of people reach out. I've had reconnected with a lot of people. So uh, I got a good support system. So uh, we're here today to 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 celebrate uh, your incredible body of work and 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 look at uh, things going forward and take it from there. But a big part of today is we're sending you onto a desert island, Jimmy. Okay. Um, and we're take allowing you to take with you uh, three wrestling matches burned onto a DVD uh, that you would watch whilst you're there. Uh, we don't know how electricity works on this island. We haven't quite figured it out. But um, throughout the throughout our chat today, we'll find out what matches you would love to watch once again. And uh, whilst you're there, what would the first match for your DVD be, Jimmy? I think it would be the um, Shawn Michaels Bret Hart Iron Man match. A hell of a match. With this one in particular, can you remember where you were when you watched it for the first time? Oh no! What what year was that? That was 1996, if memory serves. 1996. I was living in Washington State at the time. I was a military brat, so I moved around a lot. And um, so uh, we were living in Washington State, about to move to Georgia. And I had no idea that, like, maybe a year and a half later, I started training to wrestle. But it was just, you know, not, not in my mind yet. But it was... 
that 1996, I was living on a farm. My nearest neighbor was like two miles away. How did you find life as a, as you say, as a military brat moving around so much at a young age? Yeah, that's difficult. Cause like, you know, every year I was at a new school or whatever. Um, uh, but I, you know, like, the thing that got me into pro wrestling was, you know, living that life uh, because it was, I was probably in second or third grade and I was living in Hawaii at the time. And um, my, my best friend, he loved pro wrestling and his family loved pro wrestling. And I had no idea what it was. And I, I went over there and I watched um, maybe WrestleMania four with them. And the WWE only came to Hawaii once a year at the time for a house show. And I went, uh, and it was always in December and my birthday is December 8th. So that was my birthday present every year was getting to go to that house show. And, uh, and I remember seeing the worst finish I've ever seen in wrestling at the first house show I went to. They announced, um, it was, uh, during the Hogan slaughter feud. And they announced, you know, Hogan versus Slaughter for the title. You know, I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, a huge Hulkamaniac. And uh, they, we get there and they said uh, Hogan couldn't make it and would be replaced by Big Boss Man, which was fine by me because I was from Cobb County, Georgia anyway, you know. And uh, so we're, I'm watching the match and um, Boss Man goes to the top rope gives Slaughter the double axe handle. Um, he pins him, and I hear the bell ring, and I wasn't paying attention to the ref. Well, the finish was that Bossman was on the top rope for too long, and I've never seen that finish in wrestling in my life. Wow. That's that's a, that's special. I didn't realize you can get told off for that in wrestling. I didn't realize that was yeah. a thing. <laughs> they actually stopped it. Um maybe 10 years ago, but yeah, you couldn't be on the top row for more than five seconds. <laughs> There's part of me that, that would hope that a promotion somewhere in 2021 would just play silly buggers and bring that back. Just, just, yeah, to, right. just to end a match, just to surprise people. But isn't wrestling fascinating like that? It's amazing like that, how all those years later, you can remember like beat for beat that match yeah. between Hogan and Warrior that took place uh, on your birthday in Hawaii. Who, what other matches do you remember seeing at these shows that, that, that came? To um, I remember the Rockers were there. Um, Demolition was there. Um, Cheeto Santana, like guys like that. Um, you know, in which, you know, later in my career was like uh, so awesome because when I first started wrestling, um, uh, Demolition Axe was like a huge influence on me like we rode together a lot he's from georgia and then i was um at one point in my career i was living in columbus georgia and was real tight with marty Janetti. and so like it's so weird how i you know wrestling comes full circle sometimes you have to pinch yourself a little bit and go i remember these guys when i was yeah, yeah. i was remember watching them and now and now here we are in the car together did you say that you rode with demolition axe yeah yeah so what was that like as a, as an experience to, to jump ahead uh, a little bit here? Yeah. He's a, he's amazing because, you know, he actually works with uh, youth coming out of juvenile detention centers and, you know, he's like a real smart 
man, you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, um, later in life, I, I discovered mass superstar and like, that's what I really loved about him was his mass superstar days. And, uh, just, uh, you know, he would talk to me about how when delivering promos, he would sit back and watch everybody and everybody's, uh, yelling in their promos he would speak to where people would have to, you know, listen. And then if everybody's doing that, he'd be going crazy, you know, and just really teaching me how to, separate myself from everybody else important to have someone like that on your side to go back to um to brett and michael's wrestlemania 12 you remembered boss man and uh, the hogan match the disqualification off the top rope almost beat for beat there is there something from that hogan and michael's match that not hogan michael's the brett michael's match the hogan michael's match was something different um the yeah. brett hart and Shawn michael's match that that you remember that still brings you deep joy as a wrestling fan yeah, I meant Sean's entrance was something that, you know, like that was the first time I ever seen anything like that. And, um, and you know, like I, I run a, a training school now and I try to tell my students, you know, if you can capture somebody's attention uh, right out the entrance, then it makes, you know, the whole much, the match so much better. You know what I mean? Like, um, and that helped me when I was in Ring of Honor, like when fans would throw toilet paper at me and stuff like that, because like right at my entrance, I already have them involved in the match. You know what I mean? And I remember Sean, you know, had me at that time. And, you know, for somebody that's a younger person watching a uh, 60 minute match is sometimes difficult that attention fans not there, but uh, they were so you know, I just watched it maybe two weeks ago and the way that they paced that match was just so amazing. Um, you know, and kept, kept me involved the whole time. When was the moment for you when you went from, from being invested in, in Michaels and Hart, the Iron Man match to realizing, actually, I don't want to just watch this. This is something I actually want to do. Oh, that's <laughs> That's interesting. Like I, uh, I was a freshman in high school and I, I was living in like, okay. So when I moved to Marietta, Georgia, I was originally from there, but then I moved back, um, like, you know, right at the end of middle school. And I, um, you know, this is at the height of WCW. This is like 98, 99 era. And, uh, I remember going to baseball practice because like baseball was supposed to be my meal ticket, you know, like that's what I was really good at. And so I went to baseball practice one day and saw Dusty Rhodes there and lost my mind. You know what I mean? And uh, he would like my baseball field was right behind a school called Laster High School. And that's where Cody graduated from. And so he was there. Cody's baseball practice and uh, Cody's sister and I ended up being friends because we're in the same grade and stuff like that. So now things are starting to be like tangible for, me. you know, like when I was in a farm in uh, Washington state, like in Washington state, they didn't start running wrestling there regularly until recently, you, um, you know, like with people like Defy and three, two, one wrestle like that didn't start happening until recently because there was such a um, uh, 
the commission there wouldn't let people run wrestling very well. It was so costly. So I never could get close to it. And then my, so I had that experience with Dusty. And then um, after uh, football practice one day, there was a, I saw a flyer at my high school for pro wrestling. And I went to that match. And uh, and then after that, I was done. I was done for. I also went to the same high school as Buck Bagwell. So, like, and then uh, Xavier Woods went there after I did. Sprayberry High, wasn't it? This is, yeah, it seems, like, High. seems like a lot of people like you had, you know, the Roses over the way. You had Buff Bagwell, you had Austin Creed. There's a, yeah. a good wrestling fraternity here. I think that had it, even if you hadn't seen Dusty, it might have ended up that way anyway for you. Yeah. Well, you know, Jimmy Yang went through a high school. That no way. Coaching. Yeah, I mean, there was a good amount of uh, wrestling going on at that at that point. That's a hell of a promotion. Just just you lads. That's that's a hell of a, yeah, that's right. a hell of a company. That is. Uh, was it? You said it was. You said there baseball was originally your meal ticket. Yeah. Yep. What got you into baseball? Um, baseball. You know, like I, like I said, I grew up in like a farm town and. You know, you either played a sport or, you know, sat at home and played video games. And uh, and I tried to do both, you know what I mean? So um, so baseball was just something I, like, I fell in love with. And I could, um, you know, remember statistics and stuff like that. Same, it's the same kind of obsession I grew into wrestling. And then I realized... Um, you know, especially when I got to Marietta, there were so many good baseball players that came out of that that area too. That you really have this team behind you, and if the team doesn't work well, then you don't get noticed as much, you know. And with pro wrestling, it was all on my shoulders if it didn't work out. So I, I'd rather take that chance and you know hope these guys will do good for me. I was going to say, had wrestling not come along, do you think that? you would have pursued a baseball career with the same sort of vigor and energy that you've pursued a wrestling career. Absolutely. I, you know, I would have probably been a baseball coach right now. Like, just like I'm a wrestling coach right now. You know what I mean? Like one of those kind of things. Getting into wrestling, it was murder one that, that started your training. Um, you, you, you started your training in wrestling. Talk to mm-hmm. me about that first day when you go into um, training school. Like what is it you, what is it you breathe when you walk into that for the first time? Yeah, uh, you know, like, uh, my mom passed away uh, when I was 16, so this was just right before she passed away, and I remember she took me there, she saw me do it, and she was super supportive of it, but uh, that first day was, um, you know, it's just like everybody else's first day, you know, like, I'm on the verge of throwing up, I've got bruises everywhere, you know, the ropes are killing me, you know, all that stuff, and, uh, you know, and Murder One of the time was doing, like, he was, uh, he was in that ECW kind of circle, like, New Jack would be around often during my training, and, um, and so, you know, we, we were pushed really hard, and, uh, and everything was, like, super stiff, and it wasn't like all the old wrestlers in Georgia, you know what I mean? We were, we were taking wrestling super seriously. What was something you learned in your first few days of wrestling training that surprised you about wrestling? Um, 
really just uh, the fraternity aspect of wrestling. Um, because soon after I started, uh, they had me go on the road with them and helping set up rings and stuff like that. And I realized that there was some guys that were really after it and some guys that were, you know, like I tell people like you can have veterans that have been wrestling for 20 years, but you know, there's three types of those. There's the veterans that wrestle once a month. There's uh, some that wrestle once a week. And then there's some that wrestle every day of the week, you know, and I didn't want to be the ones of the guys that were wrestling once a month for 20 years. You know what I mean? And then uh, we ran into a lot of those. You were, you wanted the, wanted to throw yourself into it constantly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like at one point I was wrestling three shows on a Saturday in three different towns. Well, how do you get through a, a, a run like that? Obviously it's the passion that does it, but you must be spent body wise by the, by the time the week rolls around again. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I was like seven, 16, 17. Yeah. So like, you know, it's not like now where, uh, and you know, the other part, uh, you know, the biggest part, I never was somebody that had a lot of injuries in pro wrestling. Like my knees are good. You know, I don't, I don't have any nagging, you know, shoulder injuries or elbows or anything like that. But like, um, so I always felt like I wrestled smartly. Uh, but, you know, at that time, I was still trying to moonsault off of stuff and do crazy stuff. It was, the, you know, like I said, the era of ECW. So we were trying to emulate that stuff. And, um, you know, it would take a toll on me. I Like, I remember I'm driving home, like, four hours with a broken right ankle and trying to hit the pedal and just every time I hit the pedal, it like killed me. And, uh, but I went to my regular job the next day, you know what I mean? Like, and then did it all again the following weekend. What was the regular job at that point? Um, I was, I got real fortunate. Like when I turned 17, I started running an admission station. Do you know who that is? Um, it's not like a, is it not like a, a, a petrol station or a gas station? It, yeah, it's similar to that. We we would test cars to make sure they weren't emitting a lot of emissions. Right, okay. And right. so um, by the time I was 17, I had my own station. And so I was doing well um, at a real young age. And uh, yeah, so I did that all the way up until 2007. And that day when you said... I can't do this the emissions job anymore because wrestling's taking over full time. That must have felt, that must have been a great moment to get to. It was point. until the very next week. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, but they, but initially, so, <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. I was like, you know, I was uh, at the point where I'm making enough res- wrestling money not to have to do this anymore. I, mean, I was always real um, smart with money too. Like I. I would open another business on the side while I was wrestling. So I always had something to fall back on, you know? Um, But like, I owned a staffing agency at one point. I owned a cheerleading gym at one point. Like I would always have these other things to fall back on. But the day that I was able to like quit my like nine to five, 
um, was awesome. And then I wrestled Samoa Joe that weekend, and he went to kick me in the chest and broke my jaw. And I ended up, and now I don't have an income. You know what I mean? Because the Ring of Honor contracts at the time were, if you don't wrestle, you don't get paid. You know, and so I ended up wrestling with a broken for five weeks. And then I did that all the way until I wrestled Nigel McGuinness in, uh, in the UK, in Liverpool. That's, it, would, it seems ridiculous to people now who would, who would hear that and say, uh, I, I broke my job, but I carried on for as long as I could and, until I couldn't. Like, would, you, would you tell yourself different now? Would you, would you have gone about that in a different way? Had you know now what, or had you know then what you know now? Um, I mean, honestly, no, I would probably have done the same thing. I, you know, not, not because of anything more than I believe in wrestling so much that I wanted to finish the thing with Nigel. Mm. And we couldn't have done it anywhere other than Liverpool. You know what I mean? And, uh, and like, that's, you know, like, like I, I hold so close to me, like the, kayfabe aspect of wrestling as much as i can um that i would have yeah i would have done it all over again the same thing is there something that murder one taught you in particular that you teach your students today and is there something that murder one taught you that you choose not to teach to your students today yeah yeah so um the thing that i teach uh the that murder one taught me was the hustle of wrestling. You know, it's just like any other entertainment industry where you have to have, you know, you have to make your own t-shirts and this and that and promote yourself in different ways, you know, different websites. You know, I didn't have Facebook all the way up until like 2013 or something crazy like that. Like, and, and he was like, why aren't you on MySpace? Like when that was a thing, you know what I mean? Like those kind of things. And, um, the thing I don't teach now, and it's not just murder one, but like a cultural wrestling thing is like, I don't beat the shit out of my students. You know what I mean? Like uh, back in the day, I still, I kind of grew up in the still wild, wild west of wrestling. But my third match ever, I wrestled a guy from the power plant and he thought I was too young or too skinny or something. And he broke my arm um, intentionally. And, uh, you know, like, I don't teach that to, to my students. And, you know, like, being a, being a coach these days or even just a mentor toward, towards younger wrestlers is a lot like, you know, I ended up getting in the mental health and substance abuse field helping people. And um, it's a lot like the same thing. Like, I have to know how I can approach each person. Some people really um respond well to me yelling at them or pushing them that way you know and other people i have to gently talk to mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Got another match to choose, Jimmy. So we've had the first match for your DVD. It's Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Uh, from WrestleMania 12, what would you like your second match to be, sir? I would uh, choose um, AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels from the NWA 52nd anniversary, the first time they wrestled each other. Wow. What about what is it about that? Well, before we get into what it is, where were you when you first? I was there. I was, I, I rode down with AJ right. and, uh, he had never met Christopher Daniels before and I had already been doing stuff and he had just left WCW and uh, TNA wasn't a thing yet. And like, this was going to be the match that, you know, from that match, he got the matches at the super eight, you know, ring of honor, the best of super indies, you know, that kind of stuff. What is it with that match that, that inspires you even to this day? Um, just the just knowing the mutual respect that they had for each other and i felt like that energy pushed them both to be have this match that would christopher daniels didn't need aj styles you know what i mean but aj kind of needs that rub still and but um aj was the kind of guy that was going to go out there and produce anyway, you know? And so I think they just drove off of each other and have continued to do so their whole career. Like they have that drive off of each other. And um, so, yeah, like that, like that whole night was a memorable night. Like that was the night that uh, Hashimoto beat um, Carino for the world title. And there was a, um, there was a very work shoot aspect of it, you know, like Carino ended up like leaving the ring before, you know, um, you know, the bell had rang. It was just a real good, you know, atmosphere. And there was so many just pro wrestlers there that that's the thing that I value too, is like when, um, pro wrestlers can suspend their own disbelief, you know what I mean? And everybody's at the curtain watching and um and then they they feel that same thing that fans are supposed to feel um i like i value that completely and i you know i i've had those moments in my career and i know how it feels to come back from that i think every time you go to a show like that you always meet new people was there somebody that you met for the first time at that anniversary show and do you remember the interaction that you had with them 
Yeah, it was uh, probably Roderick Strong. Um, I'd been going down to Florida a bit, but uh, he was kind of an asshole. Yeah, I mean, he still is kind of an asshole, but he was my, my best. He's been my best friend for most, like a lot of my career. But uh, he's, you know, he's like that little brother that's always going to poke you the extra time to make you want to kill him. And uh, yeah, I like I remember meeting him there. I remember meeting um, um, Stan Lane there. Like th- there was just a good group of young, hungry guys and guys that were uh, like veterans, like Buck Quartermain, stuff like that. There was there was always that good sense in um, in Tampa of that that kind of circle. Describe the the vibe in the car, because you say you travel down with them. Describe the vibe in the car heading to the show compared to the vibe on the way back from the show. Um, There was just a lot of anxious energy on the way. You know, the other thing was, is AJ and I both came from a company called uh, NWA Wildside. We both were in that company for a long time. And um, we were going, we knew that we were going to do a big angle at the end of the show where we jumped all the Florida guys and um, there was only a few people that were like in the know of it, you know? And so there was that nervous energy then because some people started throwing live rounds sometimes. And, um, but on the way home, everybody was just, you know, not even just like me, but my other friends that were from the wild side, we were also happy for AJ um, that, you know, like there was just this excited, you know, we knew that we were on the something big was about to happen. With some people, you can sense that, can't you? That there's uh, yeah. there's big things afoot with him, and uh, and yeah. as there was with with many of you as well. Where did um, where did the name Jimmy Rave come from? What's the story behind the name? Um, you know, like early, like at the late nineties, there was still like a big rave scene, and and uh, where I grew up at, and so. That was kind of the thing. And then once that fizzled out, I didn't want to change it, you know. Um, I like I I'm somebody that uh you know, I really feel like people need to stick with something over and over. Like um like I tell a lot of my the kids that I mentor, like don't change your music every show because then people can't relate to that, you know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, and then I didn't want to, like, build up this, you know, uh, equity in that name and then change it and then have to start all the way over again, you know? So, you, like, that's why have... I just... I just I'm sorry, I interrupted I just you. ended up keeping it. If you hadn't gone with Jimmy Rave, was there other potential names that you might have gone with? Oh, no, I, I didn't even think about that. Like, uh... Yeah, I don't, I don't even think about that. Like, I, I watch a lot of um, student stuff, like Young Wrestlers coming out. Um, I watch, like, a lot of AEW Dark and a lot of those talents that I've helped out there, you know. And uh, I've ran across so many people that have a better real name than their wrestling name. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like Easy Money. His name was uh, Jason Justice, I believe. You oh, know, and nice. You know, and then like I would always be like, it, "Your name's so much better than your wrestling name," and then you don't have to give it away when you get signed somewhere. You know what I mean? 
So I, like uh, I didn't know I didn't know he was Jason Justice. That seems yeah. Well, not not anything wrong with Easy Money, but certainly Jason Justice is a is a powerful name. It's a powerful name. Right. But we're we're here to talk about the powerful name that is Jimmy Rave, um, which this uh, your your journey led you to Ring of Honor. We've we've briefly touched on some of the stuff that you did in Ring of Honor, but how did you come to 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 sign with ROH in the first place? What's the story there? Okay, so um, I'll I'll give you the extended version, but it's kind of so like when like I always say like back in my day, like I feel so old saying that, but like back in we used my to have to day. send out a. We used to have to send out VHS tapes with a resume and an eight by ten because there wasn't YouTube at the time. So I remember sending out like fifty of those. I was the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion at the time, and you know the NWA uh, World Title holders would get have to get booked out to all these companies, and so I sent out fifty of these uh, VHS tapes and I only got one call back. And it was from Ian Rotten to do the Ted Petty Invitational in 2002. And um, I was I was doing Wild Side. I was doing NWA TNA's weekly pay-per-views at the time. So I'm showing up on a little bit of TV. But then AJ and I both got booked on that Ted Petty. And, like, there was just so much talent on there. There was AJ, Christopher Daniels, Mr. Anderson, Cole Cabana, Super Dragon, um, Ace Steel, CM Punk, BJ Whitmer. It was just a who's who of wrestling um, at the time. And uh, But I had a real good match with Chris Hero in the second round. And after that, um, the company that was filming for it was Smartmark Video. Well, Mike Burns, who was um, the head of Smartmark Video, was booking for CZW at the time. And so he brought me into CZW, and then that got me a little bit closer in that Philadelphia Philadelphia market. And then um, Gabe uh, Sapolsky and I had a couple of messages back and forth, but then I ended up just driving myself up one day, which was like 14 hours for just to introduce myself. Like I had no... You know, like, there was, like, never any, like, you're going to get a match or anything. I just want to introduce myself. And uh, and then I ended up getting a match that night against AJ Styles. And then after that, two months later, I was pretty much full-time. I think it's a valuable lesson in, in taking, a, taking a chance on yourself. And I think a lot of people listening to this won't appreciate the fact that you, you well and truly risked um, – popping a shoulder out by delivering as many VHS tapes as you did. The carrying <laughs> those would have been heavy. You can't complain. No one is allowed to complain about sending too many emails because emails don't weigh anything. But sending those out and then the whole thing of driving uh, on, on a chance to meet somebody and ending up there with AJ Styles. Talk to us about that moment when you're backstage and you, you've had the meeting and they said, all right, you and AJ then in a, in a couple of hours, yeah. here we go. What goes through your head then, Jimmy? Um... I, w- I was relieved because it was someone I was uh, familiar with, you know, because I could have been with anybody. I could have been with like Dan Moff and uh, Steve Mack could have killed me. And um, and this was Philadelphia. This was the Murphy Rec Center. And so people are fired up. It, it was December of 2002. So the company was still just in its infancy, but that, like they packed that place out. 
And, uh, you know, it was my job to make AJ look good because it was for the Ring of Honor television show that they had briefly um, at that time. And, you know, we went out there and then he ended up giving me a couple moves in the match that got the crowd hype. And, uh, you know, I really thought it would be like my uh, experiences with TNA where I would go up there, I'd lose and then never get a call back or get a call back three weeks later just to do the same thing. But, you know, they were real happy with everything. And, um, and you know, like I was elated after that. How autonomous uh, were you in, in Ring of Honor in terms of the stuff that you did creatively? Because obviously you were involved with uh, the embassy uh, and a bunch of other stuff there that you did. And how much of that was down to you and how much of that was uh, directed for you? Um. Well, I I had a very good relationship with Gabe. Like, I would talk to him daily. Like, this was back when AOL Instant Messenger was around. And so, like, I would be talking to Gabe and Punk on the regular. And Punk, like, CM Punk had a lot to do with uh, me having a longer run. You know, um, especially he, you know, like, he stuck his neck out to do the angle with me. Um, which I felt like helped me a ton. But Gay was super receptive um, to all of us that were regulars. You know, like he he would lay stuff out. And then if you had some minor tweets, he'd, he'd listen to you and like, you know, m- you know, maybe uh, maybe scrap something or but like there was so many. Gay. Gabe Sapolsky for me is a booking genius. Uh, just, and I, and I don't say that just uh, to be a kiss ass or just because he helped my booking. But like, I remember he was, because I've been in the creative role since 2011 now. Like I wrote television for a company in Atlanta for like three years. You know, um, you know I've helped CZW for the last two or three years. I I know the difficulties of being a creative person, but um, Gabe would book me in a, like I was booked in an angle with AJ Styles and CM Punk at the same time. And they were both main event angles. And the way he would structure them, they never overlapped. It was never like a tag match with me and somebody versus AJ and Punk. Um, it was when AJ was around, I'd be with AJ. And when Punk was around, I'd be with Punk, you know? And it just, uh, the way it culminated after, like, and it helped me a ton because I would be finishing up one um, in the middle of the other. And so, like, I'd be in a main event, boom. And then two months later, be in another main event, boom, you know? And uh, he was just really good about doing that. And I remember during Brian Danielson's um, title run, how he did all these 60 minute draws and everybody thought each night with whoever he was with, he could lose, you know? And, uh, and I know that was a lot of Brian and Gabe, but, um, and I can tell you some about Brian's mind that would, uh, that I think is like amazing too. Like that's helped, you know, not only, me and Ring of Honor, but like all these guys in WWE that are there now. 
Well, you hear stories now of him working behind the scenes and, and, and pushing for guys from NXT to come and work on the roster with him. And there's a great relief as a wrestling fan where if, you, if someone's being called up to work with Daniel Bryan, you know they're going to be all right. Right, yeah, right. You know they're in good hands. He, like, um, I, I was there, you know, like I said, from the very beginning. And then I didn't have a world title match until the fourth anniversary show against him. And um, I remember we were just like, we sat down with each other. And then soon after that, Gabe was like, I need you guys to go now because um, somebody's flights late, you know? And so we're like, oh shit, like we got to get together real quick. And Brian was so smart that he was like, okay, um, when I beat you, I'm going to beat you with the elbows. You know, like he was doing the elbows and guys were tapping out to that. And he goes, but I don't want you to tap out. I want you to pass out. And that was the first time we did a pass out thing in Ring of Honor where he's elbowing me and Todd Sinclair stopped it like in the UFC. And uh, and when, when we got to the back, he goes, you know, that finish leaves you open to saying like you didn't quit, you didn't get pinned, so we can keep doing this, you know, and like like that's some that's a valuable thing that nobody else thinks about. And that wasn't from Gabe. That was from, from Brian. You know what I mean? Like, um, and like Gabe knew who to let um, drive when they needed to be in the steering wheel, you know? What talk about uh, leaving ring of honor in 07. Now, obviously shortly after you left, uh, you turned up in, in TNA wrestling in a more permanent role. Was that connected or was there other things afoot there? There, there was a lot of other things that were going on. Um, you know, like I wasn't right with like substance abuse at the time, like was a big factor in it. Um, also, there was some things about my contract that happened the, the day that I quit. Um, you know, I took it on somebody's word that I would be on most of the shows and I came back from Japan and they're like, oh, we need you off these next four shows because we have some Japanese talent coming in. And I was like, the, the way their, con their contract was structured at the time was not guaranteed. So like, if you didn't wrestle, you just didn't get paid. You know what I mean? And they didn't owe you nothing. They just could tell you where you could go and where you couldn't go. And, um, you know, I was coming back from that jaw injury and I, and I felt like I deserved to, you know, cause I sat on the sidelines for that, you know? Um, so that was one thing. And then, um, the night that I quit, I was wrestling in a four way. Now keep in mind, I just came back from a jaw injury. Um, right when I came back from a jaw injury, they did a, we did a stupid match where Ace Steel hit me in the head with the cowbell and it caused me to get seven staples on my head. And then I, and then the next week after I came back from the jaw injury, like maybe the second match, BJ Whitmer powerbombing the uh, turnbuckle. We bumped heads and I had to get stitches, you know? And like, like I said, they're not paying for my health insurance. You know what I mean? Like, and so like, and these aren't like just things that I can make up, you know what I mean? Where, where I could say, oh, my back hurts. And like, there's no real you know, way to prove that. But these are things that I, I'm actually going through. And then that night, somebody 
hit me in my eardrum and I started bleeding out of my ear and ruptured my eardrum. And I was just like, I've had it. Like, I can't do this anymore. Do you feel like if you had your time again, you might have signed off in 2007 in a slightly different way? Um, I would have approached the situation differently. Yeah. I like, I was like, what happened was I went to a room and um, the powers that be came into the room. And I was like, yo, give me a few minutes, you know, and they wouldn't. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I want my release. You know what I mean? Like, um, and they granted it to me right there. And, uh, but it was just one of those things where I was, if I had gotten time to cool down, I would have been okay. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were hot at the time and, um, you reacted in the heat of the moment, which we, which you know what, it's the human condition. It's kind yeah, of, absolutely. we're all a bit like that sometimes, aren't we? We all are. Uh, but you weren't yeah, you, you weren't quiet for long because you turned up in TNA wrestling. <laughs> Talk to us yep. about the rock and rave infection and 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 how all that came to pass and the fun that you had doing that. I I uh back in 2005, I was on a flight with um I was booked to to wrestle AJ Styles on we were doing a, that match on a whole bunch of different promotions. And this promotion in uh in New Jersey booked um myself versus aj styles and vince russo in his corner right and uh i ended up sitting next to vince russo on the flight and you know he's talking to me about everything and uh he was wanting to start doing these religious shows based on the bible have you ever seen the ring of glory Ring of glory yeah i've seen i've yep. seen them they're they're sort of like in a in an assembly hall and there's always like a character that's like like the like a humble carpenter type who comes out yep. at the end and and gets the pop. It's it's an interesting watch. It is an intriguing right. watch. Well, he was looking for buildings to do that at, and my ex-wife was a uh, commercial real estate agent, and so I was helping him do that and then doing those shows. But then he lost his job at TNA. Um, then he came back to TNA in two thousand six. And he started emailing me and he was like, hey, would you, I've got an idea for you. Could you come in and do it? I was like, yeah, if you want. And they never pulled the trigger. And originally I was going to come in to be part of VKM with Road Dog and uh, Billy Gunn. And I was going to be in the X-Pac role where I was doing most of the bumping and stuff like that. Um, X-Pac was having his own problems at the time or whatever. And then uh, I just never heard back from that. Later in life, I found out that uh, Billy and Road Dog got it down because they never had seen me wrestle before. Mm. And uh, and then I I actually quit Ring of Honor and had and was about to go to WWE. Um, I was going to sign with WWE. I had tryout matches like three weeks later, um, and they had that Deep South. Uh, developmental center in Georgia where I lived and so uh so that's what I was looking at but the they were going to only pay me $500 a week and I like I was making $500 a night at Ring of Honor you know what I mean so like I couldn't that just didn't make sense to me you know and uh and then as got closer Bill Barron's who was my agent at the time 
called me and said, hey, TNA will put you on pay-per-view this weekend and sign you if uh, if you're interested. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And, like, they just randomly put me with Lance Hoyt and Chris Miami. <laughs> and we weren't the Rock and Raven affection until, like, three months later. You were just you were just put together as a team, and the name came along shortly afterwards. Uh, the name came along because I was working there without a a contract, and I was getting scared. Like, okay, like if we keep getting beat, and I don't have a contract, then I'm going to get fired. And so I saw Jeff Jarrett's kids playing rocking uh, our guitar hero backstage, and it was a big popular thing backstage at the time. And so I pitched it. Um, to one of the agents and they helped us out with it amazing i didn't know that was the story behind the name inspired yeah. by guitar hero that's stunning stunning well but you know like and you know i had ways to justify it i was like you know christy i mean she's in a real band yeah um and she can actually sing very well and uh so i was trying to lend that out to it i had other ideas but they would like kibosh them like right off the way like me and D'Lo Brown were, he was an agent there, you know, and uh, he was like, you know, the um, toilet paper thing for Ring of Honor is so great. Like, I, you know, we need to figure out a way to do it here. And I said, what if we have like girls like throwing their room, their hotel room keys into the ring and <laughs> panties and stuff like that? And we did that on an um, explosion one night. We actually had two girls jump the guardrail and tackle us. And, um, and it just made it, you know, like I was saying, like that entrance thing much more um, involved. And, you know, nobody wanted to put the time and effort in it. And like Lance and I would come up with ideas for merch, like like Mojis, Motor City Machine Guns had the uh, dog collar tags. Um, they had the dog tags. And so like, we were like, oh, what if we make like, like backstage passes for the Rock and Rave infection, you know? And they just... You know, they just bucked everything. That must have been quite demoralizing when you feel like you've got something that you can that you can roll with and for whatever reason constantly get shot down. Yeah, it, and you know, I went there I went there coming off of a tour of Dragon Gate. And whenever I would work for Dragon like one time I was on tour for them and we wrestled 19 days in a row. With no, with no breaks and at a different city every night. And that's what I was used to in Ring of Honor where you're wrestling 20 or 30 minutes a night. Now I'm doing these tag matches that are five minutes with entrances. You know what I mean? So it's really only three minutes. And uh, it wasn't fulfilling to me. You know what I mean? Like I was literally just there to get a paycheck. I feel like uh, we keep coming back to this, Jimmy, the whole, like, had I known then what I know now type situation. But um, with WWE offering you uh, 500 a week, TNA saying, hey, short-term gratification will put you on television, put you on pay-per-view this week. Do you think if you'd known where you'd have gone and what would have been ahead of you, would you have said no to that short-term buzz of being on pay-per-view and maybe maybe consider the Deep South offer more or not? Or was it just a case no, of would financially viable? I would have gotten fired in Deep South. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not just because it's um not just because it was hard to be around uh um Bill DeMont, but like because um 
because they were still wanting big guys. They still wanted everybody to be like six foot two, you know, two twenty. And like I just have never been built that way. You know what I mean? And uh, and I just wasn't willing to compromise like my morals to like just be on steroids all the time and be like you know screw it I you know that's what I'll do you know and because I had done that in the past um trying to get a job and it just didn't work and it made my life um miserable and so um you know and plus it like my friends that were there were telling me it's not fun you know what I mean and like regardless of not being able to have like amazing matches in TNA, I still had fun there because my friends were there, like Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, um, Xavier Woods, Petey Williams was my roommate the whole time I was there. He, he's an amazing person. Um, Don J. Dutt, Jay Lethal. And like, we would, we'd have amazing matches on house shows that nobody ever saw. Like, um, I don't know if it was how Lance, structured his contract or not but i would be on most of the house shows and he wouldn't and so i would be able to have these x division matches and stuff like that um on house shows like at first when i first got there i felt like dutch mentel who was one of the writers didn't like much and uh once once i started doing house shows and he was the agent he like he saw what everybody else was seeing that i could have great matches and um, the one thing that Terry Terry said to me when uh, when he offered me my contract, he goes, what can you bring to TNA? And I said, I can have good matches with anybody. And whether if I win or lose, I'll still be over, you know. And that leaves everything open to, like, I can lose every night, um, which we did. We lost all the time. And, like, we would still get great reactions in front of a live crowd. You're like, I don't mind losing. I don't mind losing. You know, I can still get over. But if I can win a couple of times, that would be nice. Yeah, Just right. Give me, give me a little bit of something. Were you relieved when? And it, it sounds like a weird thing to say when it's it's a job. No one's ever relieved to to lose a job. But were you relieved when your release came through? So, I just have been so lucky in wrestling. The day that they, uh, the day before they fired me. No, the day of they fired me. Adam Pierce was booking for Ring of Honor and he goes, Hey, we have this big show. Um, it's the seventh anniversary show. We would like for you to come back. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, that's awesome, man. Like I can definitely do that. Um, let me just call the office and make sure it's okay. I called Terry Taylor. They said it's okay. Terry Taylor calls me like three or four hours later and was like, Hey, um, we're going to end up giving you your release. And I was like, is this cause I asked for the Ring of Honor thing? And he was like, no, like, and I, I knew that Sanjay and PD had gotten released the day before, and they had already told me. And I was on my way to a house show for TNA when they fired me. And then they were like, we just want you to do one more match. Um, the door's open for you to come back, but we're going to do this off the wagon challenge, and whoever gets pinned can't come back, and we're going to pin Lance. And I was like, okay. Um, but, like, right now I can do whatever I want. And he goes, yeah. So I called Pierce back and I was like, Hey man, I can do a lot more than that one, you know? And, uh, and he was like, all right, we'll do something. And then we had that um, amazing thing at the seventh anniversary where Prince Nana and um, Bison Smith were in the ring. He 
I do my return and the crowd goes nuts. We're beating up Brian Danielson and then Colt Cabana's music comes on and he clears house, you know, because he had gotten fired the same day from WWE. So it was just like, it just felt like a, a homecoming for everybody involved with Ring of Honor. Absolutely. You were, you were there for a year and some, some demons came back. Did the demons really oh, yeah. go away though, Jimmy? No, 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 absolutely not. No. It just got uncontrollable by that point. Like I was, I had, uh, I had, I did something real stupid. I had ended up having like a back, uh, surgery and wrestled two days later. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was the same, I was in the same spot where, um, I was like, if I don't wrestle, I don't get paid. Even though I had another business on the side, um, I just wasn't taking care of myself, you know. Do you think it was justification? Saying, well, I have in to what wrestle. Way? And <laughs> in saying that, well, even though you had another business, um, you said, well, I have to wrestle, otherwise I don't get paid. So I guess I have to take medication yeah, to make it, sure that I do. It was a lot of, more of, I. this is what I want to be doing, you know what I mean? And like, I always felt like I could control it and then it it would just I'd hit a slippery slope, you know what I mean? Or I I would get a bad injury and then um and you have to take more and um or I would be around people that were doing it, you know, and um the way I used to justify it was, you know, be, you, was I like some of my friends at TNA would go out and party uh, like at the local bar or whatever. And I would always go back to my room and just be my, by myself playing video games. Maybe somebody come in and play video games or whatever. And so, like, I wasn't out there being, like, a fool about it, you know? Like, um, man, I remember one time we went to the uh, hotel and um, he's great now. He's amazing now. But uh, we saw Kurt Angle in the lobby with just his boxers on, like wobbling around, taking pictures with fans, you know? And, uh, and I was like, you know, like, I'm not like that, you know what I'm saying? Like, so that's how I justify it. But I'd be like that at home or something, you know? It was, was it just a, talk to us about that, about, about Kurt Angle in his boxes in the, in the lobby. Did that, did he just turn up? Did he just walk out? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like I always blame TNA for like how how like, you know Kurt had that point in WWE um, around 2005 or whatever where they were like you know you you have to go to rehab or we're gonna fire you and then they let him go and he came to TNA and what I always heard was he got the same deal that Sting got you know um, the rumor was that. Uh, Spike TV would manage Sting's contract and you get half a million a year. You don't only have to appear on pay-per-view and TV. Well, Kurt Angle apparently got the same contract but had to appear on everything. So they're, you know, he's on every house show. Um, And like, I remember when I first got there, I was like, man, Kurt and uh, Christian like would have these fucking killer matches on every house show like in just amazing 30 minute matches you know and I was like and then I started seeing him walking and like the app 
atrophy of his arms and stuff. And like, it's, you know, it's sad, you know, seeing him walk like that. You said, um, when you when you told us first just a moment ago about the Kurt Angle thing, you kind of compared yourself to him and said, "Well, I'm not like that. oh yeah, I'm not like that." Yeah, was yeah, that- I would be like that at home, and that was my justification. Like I'm not out in public being an idiot, you know. That's but the, you, I, you know, I'm sure there was times that I was. Was there? Um, and you've talked you've talked about this in 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 plenty of other interviews. You've been very open about your about your painkiller addiction. What was the moment where you went, "All right." this is out of control now and I need, I need to do something. Um, I had a uh, suicide attempt. And I think when I came out of that was one of the, uh, the time that I, cause I've had two, two moments in my life where I was just like, that's, that's it. You know, in both of them, the first time I had a suicide attempt, I didn't get help for it. And so I still had this resentment for my ex-wife, um, you know, and people around me, like even my my friends in wrestling were like kind of backing off because they could see like this um, dark side of me coming out. You know what I mean? Like just not being happy with anything, whether it was wrestling or just general life. And then I got help for that. Like I, uh, I got help for that in two, at the end of 2009. And then, um, and then a couple of years later, I started, I was the director of my own treatment center. Um, I, I helped people with uh, substance abuse and mental health. And it was a 24 hour uh, center where we would help people. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved up in that industry where I was working for the whole state of Georgia, where I was helping all the hospitals get better and everything. And then so that was like a good long run of that. And then, um, and then I had something happen that like caused me to slip up and have to go back to rehab again. And, uh, like I was, um, sexually abused as a, as a young person, like when I was, um, between three and six and, um, my uncle, was the one that abused me and he's been, he's been in prison for doing it to two other uh kids for a long time well my grandmother ended up sending him pictures of myself and my uh six-year-old son at the time and uh he sent me a letter and like after I read that letter I, I like flipped out then too and uh just because I hadn't been dealing with that you know what I mean like I was dealing with everything else in my life but not that and so, uh, so then I had another suicide attempt and then I was in the ICU for a while. And then I went to a mental health hospital for a while, um, you know, um, and then I ended up just having like a, uh, like a year long run of going back to painkillers until I was just like, I can't, can't do this anymore. What was, um, what was the letter? Um, the letter was him telling me that I was a sinner and I needed to forgive him. And so like, you know, that's hard to deal with. And like, I didn't know, you know, my grandmother had passed away. Um, she passed away recently, but at that time, um, 
she had had a brain aneurysm. And so she wasn't doing things normally. You know what I mean? And I don't know if, you know, like, and I didn't know where to place my anger with that. You know what I mean? Like, am I, of course I'm still um, hurt by him, but I thought I dealt with that. But now am I mad at her? But it was hard to be mad at her because she had her brain aneurysm. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't know where to place my anger, you know? And uh, sometimes I would just be angry at myself about it. You know what I mean? And like, I can deal with that, you know, like I can numb that, but other people's anger is still there. You know what I mean? What did you do to overcome that in the end? Um, so I, you know, working with people that have like substance abuse and mental health, like I knew what I needed to be doing, you know, like that was my job. And so I needed, uh, you know, not to have the um, drugs in my system. So I, I got that taken care of. But then I found a great therapist. And that's what really helped me out was um, going to therapy. But my therapist was uh, also a psychiatrist. And so there's not many psychiatrists do, that do talk therapy and psychiatry, um, but he did. And so he was able to help me um, get over that block and but like um he I I caught him like when he was like 78 and still working and so like um you know I had a mental health scare when uh when he retired you know what I mean like stuff like that it's just a lot to deal with where were you in in, in your life and in your recovery when you returned to Ring of Honor for the third time in 2013. Oh, I was in a bad spot then. Yeah. yeah. That was right after the letter. That was right after the letter. Um, and, I, like, and I was taking not only what I normally had taken for painkillers, but like um, I had a bad psychiatrist that was giving me Xanax and I'd blacked out. You know, like it was just a bad situation altogether. And uh yeah, that's the second time I went to treatment. Because, like, that caused a lot of things to happen. Like, I ended up getting a divorce. Um, you know, a whole bunch of bad things happened after that. What was the... Can you remember the moment where you left Ring of Honor again? Like, was there was there a... What was the conversation like? What was the mood like with this happening once again? Um, It was actually a positive thing. Like, I had a lot of my friends around me saying like, Hey, we, we just want you to go get better first. Um, you don't need to be out here doing this if you're not well, you know? And I, I think there was like, you know, eight or 10 of them that were in, you know, we were all in a locker room privately talking about it and, you know, being honest about not only what I was doing, but other people were doing. And, uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was a loving thing that they did. And, I already knew that I needed to do that. You know what I mean? Like, but sometimes you have to have those situations to happen. Um, how did it feel after being a part of TNA, being a part of Ring of Honor, and and being in a place where you you still work quite through recovery? You you went back on the independent circus. What was the what was the mood for? You? How were you feeling at that time with? 
like with with a selection of of work with Dragon Gate and places like that, was was wrestling still as important, or was it more about getting better at this point? Um, it's you know like I I took a lot of time off that time. I didn't rush right back, you know, and like that's what I had done before. I rushed right back, and so when I finally came back, you know, it had been like six months and that's the longest I'd ever taken off in my career you know and uh and so I I still needed that connection to wrestling in some way like even when I was off for those six months I still had people I would talk to I'd keep up with wrestling um but I uh I just wasn't there active in it you know and so the um the biggest thing for me was when I came back to to make sure that I was doing everything I needed to do before I got back. Like I would, uh, I'd go and see my therapist on Thursdays because I knew I was wrestling Friday, Saturday, and Sunday probably. You know, um, I would, uh, you know, I had some people that were in a recovery group that I would call right after the matches, you know, because, uh, you know, sometimes that was the, you know, you get this natural high from wrestling and then you have to come down from that. And so, you know, I would have, you know, call people on my way home, you know, e- even if it wasn't somebody in recovery, if I could call somebody just so I got to my house, I'd be fine. And, uh, and so like, that's just what I've been doing the last however many years. I think they, uh, I think people don't realize that. And it is when you come away from, from wrestling shows, from doing stuff in front of like a live crowd, there is that there 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 is that endorphin rush that comes from it, and and then all of a sudden you go from from being watched and and the sort of the focus of so many people's attention to suddenly being on your own, and it's that drop that so many uh, uh, struggle with, and it's things like making a phone call on your way home, just things that kind of put your head in a different place. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems to have been the, the 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 trick. Who would you normally call on a way home? I know you say it's not always the same people, or um, you know, I had different people. Um, my best friend, his name's Sour Naro. Um, I'd call him often. Um, I had another uh, kid that I trained named Kyle Matthews. And recently, um, you know, if I go on a long road trip, like those are the hard ones, or the you know, the long long road trips. Um, but like I could see that coming and and so like I would do all through my career I always wanted to bring people along with me you know what I mean like if I could get my buddy Sal booked on a show you know like that's how he was in Ring of Honor for a long time like if if I could get anybody else on something I would do that and so this past time when I started to travel again a couple years ago um, I have a group of guys um, in pro wrestling called Young, Dumb, and Broke. Uh, there's a guy named Jordan Oliver who's doing big things right now. Um, Griffin McCoy, Ellis Taylor, and Charlie Tiger. Well, they they're um, my students, but now that I can um, now I can get them on shows, and so like now I can just ride with them. You know what I'm saying? And like that's a way to keep myself accountable. That that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Because, like, at some point in pro wrestling, that stopped. You know, back in the day, 
Remember how I said I used to ride with um, Mass Superstar Villiti? Um, at some point, that stopped. Like they were, um, and not even just like physically riding with each other, but like I'd be in the car with you know, say th- three or four other guys, and the driver would be driving, and the guys in the back would have their headphones on, and like I'm like, you can't learn that way, you know. Like I learned a lot by just listening to these older gentlemen like talk about their careers you know and so like that doesn't happen as much now no there's a, a camaraderie that is, is somewhat lost yeah yeah on the road which i think is still very important uh, a, a lot of people will be familiar with yourself jimmy you you retired at the end of last year mm-hmm. and for, for one i'm really grateful that we get to talk because i i reached out to you when you announced it and I said, look, it's whenever you're ready, whenever you want to, it'd be great to come and celebrate the stuff that you've done. And I'm genuinely delighted that, that, that one of the few interviews you're doing is here. So, so thank you for that. Um, but talk to us a bit about, about what has gone on with you. Cause it has been, it has been life-changing. Yeah. So um, maybe like seven or eight months ago, maybe six months ago, I was outside working in the yard and I got a cut on my arm and, you know, I just bandaged it up, didn't think anything about it. And then um, it just wouldn't go away and it just would get like more and more painful. And I just tried toughen it out like, or putting like topical solutions on it or whatever. And, uh, and then finally it just got unbearable like around Thanksgiving this year. And they were like, Yo, you've let this go too long. We're gonna have to amputate your arm at the elbow. Um, not only that, but it's in your bloodstream, so we have to make sure it doesn't get to your heart. Um, you know, it was it was a real scary time. Like I would, you know, I did two procedures in the hospital. I did a, uh, you know, I was on twenty four hour antibiotics. It was just a super crazy time, and you know, it's hard to go from you know, being able to do everything you want physically to, to not, you know what I mean? Like, um, I just don't think people realize how much you, you know, like I can't like tie my shoes, you know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. And, uh, so it's just been like super life-changing and, you know, the, you know, we were talking about stuff that I need to do to stay healthy and like, with this, like, I have to see a surgeon, I have to see a physical therapist, occupational therapist, the guy for the prosthetic, and still see my mental health therapist, you know what I mean? Like, that was the, you know, the biggest thing for me in the hospital was, like, they would have a mental health therapist there all the time, so, because it just, it gets super depressing. I still haven't really gone out to be around anybody. There was a show that I really wanted to attend this weekend and I just couldn't bring myself to, to go and do it. You know what I mean? And so, uh, so it's just been a hard thing to, to deal with. Why don't you want to go? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I don't, people, people used to see me as, you know, a locker room leader, uh, you know, a guy that could show them or teach them whatever they needed to know. And I don't know, I just feel less than, and uh, 
you know, I've had a lot of people reach out and say, hey, like, you know, your mind, especially the last maybe five years, I've worked more backstage than actually on shows, you know, like I'm a producer at a lot of different places here. Um, I moved up to Philadelphia to, to help with the, uh, the CZW school. I've also helped out at the Chikara school, cheeseburger school. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities around here and I just feel like, um, they're seeing a lesser than of what I am, you know? You are, are you aware that that's something that that's how you feel and that's not how other people feel about you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've always been you know, somebody that it's hard to take a compliment, you know? Uh, and so like when, when I announced everything and people were saying super nice things about me, um, that's not my comfort level, you know, like, um, just with how I grew up with, you know, abuse, I had an abusive stepfather. Um, so like those things are foreign to me and, uh, like I know that and I, like I've gone through therapy for about that, uh, my whole life and so like now you know like now I have this this major life-changing event and so now it's I, th I also think that's why I was successful as a heel you know what I mean because I don't have to listen to compliments and you know what I mean like I just get to be uh be that guy that gets to say shit back but like um yeah it's just been a difficult time this whole this whole thing I didn't I didn't realize how much, uh, like, I knew it was going to be difficult, and it was emotional when they told me, but I didn't realize how much you need two hands for, you know? Mm. What What was the first thing that went that went through your head when they told you they'd be amputating your arm? Oh, uh, like, just how am I going to live, you know what I mean? Like, how, are you, how am I going to make money? How am I... You know what I mean? Like all those things go through through your head real quick. Like, uh, you know, like how am I going to, uh, you know, hug somebody? You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's all of that. It's, um, you know, or like, you know, people treat you differently. You know, like when you're at a store or something. It's all of that, like wrapped into one. Um, yeah, I don't even know how to place it on one thing because it's just, you know, it's like this tsunami hits you of all the stuff that is going to be bad about it. Since the operation, who who do you feel like you've drawn inspiration from? Um, I well, I'll I'll tell you the first person that I talked to about the whole thing was Zach Gowan. Um, I was like, hey man, like. You know, and he's in um, substance abuse recovery also. Um, he's very vocal about it. But uh, I was like, how do I, because I knew I was going to have to address it. You know what I mean? Um, but he helped me write my statement and gave me really good words of encouragement. I've known Zach since his first day at, when he came to TNA. Um, so I've known him for a long time. And so that was super helpful. Um you know, like my students have been super helpful. Uh, my girlfriend has been amazing. She she does everything she can to help me. It's just, 
And I've had so many people reach out and just say super nice things like Dila Brown, Jerry Lynn, um, just everybody. And then people doing like uh, super generous things like um, like Chris Jericho uh, donated to my GoFundMe and I don't have like a close relationship with him. You know, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that has been really awesome. Was that it? Did it just appear one day? Because because Chris Jericho actually did something similar for, um, I don't know how familiar you are with Puff. We had Puff on the show uh, last year, and he said when when he was in a car accident, uh, Chris Jericho <laughs> did something similar, just uh, yeah, looking out for other boys, yeah. hang in there, take that and 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 rest up. Yeah, it's it just came out of nowhere. I like I, you know, and I've. I've had like some amazing friends in pro wrestling, like Kevin, uh, Kevin Owens, like he's just, you know, sent stuff to me before. No, no questions asked. Like, um, you know, just everybody's been like super awesome. Even people that like, uh, you know, don't have a great reputation in pro wrestling have been amazing. You know? And like, that's, um, that's awesome to know that like, because of our relationship, they, they can do amazing you know, cool things. But, um, you know, I, I wish more people would understand, like, what happens, you know, like, we're this fraternity and, like, there's some bad eggs in it, but, like, when it, when the when the chips are down, like, everybody comes together, you know? Uh, and I've always felt like that's happened in pro wrestling. Do you think you'll learn to take compliments better in 2021? Since there's so many, uh, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, you know, like the most, uh, my like my student Jordan Oliver did a uh, an interview that's out. You know, the that they released um, the video of, and he talked about our relationship, and like that's something that's really special to me. Is like the the students that I've trained, um, you know knowing how to uh to be positive in pro wrestling too i think i speak for 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 wrestling in general when i when i tell you what you already know there's a lot of love for you jimmy there's a lot yeah. of love. there's a lot of love i um, appreciate it before we get to, we 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 drifted off off course but let i want to end it on a high and i want to i want to give you some i want to go give you some wonderful memories to to reflect upon with wrestling because we've got one more match for our dvd we forgot right. about the whole premise of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. You have, so far, we have a belter between AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. We have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart from WrestleMania. What is your third and final match going to be, Jimmy Ray? Um, the blow-off to the CZW Ring of Honor feud, the Cage of Death that they did. Now, that was a really um, cool interpromotional bit of goodness, that was. It was amazing. And, like, you know, I, at the time I was wrestling for both promotions, and um, yeah, it was the, it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. And like, it, it goes back to Gabe's genius booking about how how that all went down. Um, you know, I uh, you know even the moment where um, Samoa Joe you know has somebody up for the muscle buster and Brian Danielson takes his knee out, you, like just amazing things like that, like. It just, it was an amazing, like, and being there that night was insane. As you were in both camps, both for, for, for both sides of this story being told, 
what was the uh, the discussion like that that built up this interpromotional rivalry? Was it was it pretty straightforward of storytelling? Was everybody fairly even, or was there uh, sort of were there creative collisions along the way? Um, I mean, if you talk to, you know, I'm I'm in the CCW office now, you know, and I know they felt like they got jaded in in the whole thing, but I, you know, we. If you watch the feud, CZW was up the whole time until the end, you know, and uh, it's on them to capitalize off of that. You know what I mean? Like, I, the amazing thing I've had in pro wrestling is learning from different bookers, you know, like I, I would bug Gabe with questions. I'd bug Dutch Mantel with questions or Jeff Jarrett. I'd even bug the um, Ginky Hiraguchi who was booking for Dragon Gate, I'd bug him. I bug uh, Jado and Gato when I worked for New Japan, all that stuff. And so learning how to do this um, was amazing. And like both companies could have came out um, much better after that, but I don't think CZW um, capitalized on the the momentum that they had going on. Um, you know, like they feel that Ring of Honor just sold their, all their fans, which was you know, it just showed them a different, a different company. And like, uh, but I know, I know that there was some creative um, disagreements, but, you know, in the end, when they would go with Gabe's um, philosophy, it was awesome. Like, I remember times where Gabe would not, would tell like myself or CM Punk that he would never book Chris Hero. You know, and and then Chris became such a huge part of the company. So you see all that going on as well. And from that particular match, the one that you've chosen, the the big blow off to uh, to the to the interpromotional war. What what spot from that match? What moment from that match do you recall that that is a particular favorite of yours? Yeah, the the moment where um, Brian Nelson turns is a big one. Um, and then Homicide's entrance was huge. And then when he uh, he gave Nate Nate Webb the cop killer on the Bob Wire, like all that stuff was uh, was awesome. Um, there was just so many moments where you know, like it just took you on the best roller coaster ever. Can you see? a similar thing going down in wrestling when we get back to whatever normal is going to be uh, something into promotion of that kind of energy. Yeah. I mean, like if, if AEW continues to, to work as they have with other promotions, it could work. Um, but I think you, you know, sometimes I think people's prides get, get in the way too much. You know, it, Especially like how how I was saying like CZW was uh, beating our guys so often. Um, not every company is going to let you do that, you know. Uh, but you know, I know Gabe Sapolsky helps out with NXT now, and he can make that work. Um, like I I've learned just like the old cliche is is like never say never in pro wrestling because like crazy things happen all the time that I don't ever uh, see happening. Absolutely. As we go into 
2021. What are some of your goals for this year, Jimmy? Um, my goal, like, you know, my first goal is to, uh, you know, continue to stay positive, um, continue to, uh, deal with all these doctor's appointments and therapy. Um, I'd really like to get the prosthetic arm this year. I didn't realize how much that is, how expensive that is. Um, my, you know, one of the goals is to get back in the, the swing of being around people, like going to shows, um, you know, training people, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, and just um, reconnecting with a lot of people I haven't spoken to in a while. Well, we, we wish you nothing but the best for 2021. Here's to, uh, t- to, for all of us and for yourself, most importantly, here's to brighter days ahead, big things to come. Where can people go to keep up with everything you're up to, Jimmy? Yeah, um, I think the best place is just my Twitter. It's at, at the Jimmy Rave. The same thing on Instagram. Yeah, those are the best places to probably catch me. Jimmy Rave, thanks for coming on. Here is to a healthy and happy 2021. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs> 